a serial entrepreneur. Eventually, it just just catches up to you. Go Tar Heels. I literally wrote that entire book in my phone. Wow. He wears mismatched socks. Exactly. All right. Welcome back, everybody. This is episode two of the Derek Box Show. I got Drew Shaw here with me today. Uh, let's get right into it. Uh, just give me like a 60-second elevator pitch of you know who you are, what you do. Wow, I'm used to doing elevator pitches about my company, so not about myself. But uh, yeah, my name is Drew Shaw. I am a serial entrepreneur. I like to dabble in all kinds of things. I My life goal is to become a renaissance man who just does whatever he feels like doing. Uh, so yeah, I just let my passions lead me. So I've started an educational consulting company. I've written a children's book. I have uh, a socially conscious lifestyle brand. I'm working on another project. And then I have this endless list of things I want to accomplish before I die. And that's what I spend literally every moment I'm awake <laughs> doing. So uh, yeah, yeah, that's much, that's pretty much me in a nutshell. That's awesome. How did you uh, kind of get started? Where are you from? How did you end up here? Oh, I guess I can tell you that stuff too. Um, yeah, so I'm originally from the Carolinas, uh, most recently from North Carolina. Um, I moved out to Arizona in 2005, right after I graduated from the uh, University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, go Tar Heels. Um, and uh, I did Teach for America, um, which is a program that brings uh, recent college graduates to become leaders in communities and in the classroom. I stayed in my classroom assignment for six years, and then, oh, and I taught elementary school over that course of time, and then I moved to, moved over to Arizona State University in the Teachers College and worked for a grant-funded project there, and then, <clears throat> excuse me, then I left there and started my first company. That's awesome. How did you enjoy teaching at ASU? Teaching at ASU was great. I mean, College students are kind of like my third graders, except for they have better excuses as to why they didn't do their work. So, uh, yeah, it was it was really great. And, you know, working at a big college like that really gives you a sense of the vastness of what education is in the United States, because Arizona State is the largest university in the country. And to be a part of that kind of system is really enlightening in a lot of ways. Yeah, you see a lot of interesting things, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. So how did uh, kind of teaching, how did that kind of lead you into figuring out that you wanted to be in the entrepreneurial space? I mean, I think teaching in a lot of ways is already entrepreneurial. It's yeah. just like running a business. You have to manage people, you have to manage paperwork, you have to uh, manage yourself. <laughs> so in a lot of ways, um, that was the beginning of my entrepreneurial journey in thinking about how to make education equitable for everyone, not just for students, but also for teachers, uh, because I got a lot of great training from Teach for America, and I saw that a lot of my colleagues weren't getting it. And so when I started my first company doing educational consulting, that's what I had in mind. Um, so being able to impact teachers and via those teachers, a lot of students is one of the ways in which I know I can make a lot of impact. Um, but I also grew up around entrepreneurs my entire life. My grandparents were entrepreneurs. My mom's an entrepreneur. My aunt's an entrepreneur. My uncle's an entrepreneur. So it's kind of in my DNA to do that. But I never thought when I was younger that I would become an entrepreneur um, because it was just normal life uh, to me. But, uh, but now I see the value in how you can create community, how you can express your values and the world that you want to see by the things that you create and by the businesses that you run and the people that you uh, impact along the way. So, yeah, so that's what I would say uh, impacted my entrepreneur, entrepreneurial journey, at least in the beginning. Yeah. It always comes back to you. Entrepreneurship is so weird. It's like a very small percentage of the population have that, you know, kind of drive to be, an, crazy. to be an entrepreneur. A little bit to be a drive to be an entrepreneur, but I, I grew up around the same thing, entrepreneurs in my family, and I, I did not want to be an entrepreneur when I was starting out, but eventually it just, just catches up to you. So I looked into Acumen Learning Innovations. That was your first company. Uh, what, what is that business like? I had never heard of anything like that. So just like kind of tell me about like what that is, how, how you started it. Yeah, so Acumen is uh, an education consulting company. So I basically become like, I don't know, I might be dating myself, but have you seen the show Scandal with uh, Kerry Washington? Yes, before your time, I knew it. But she's like a fixer, basically. Okay. So anyone who's a high-powered individual, uh, they, you know, scandals and stuff 
happen in their lives and she basically fixes it. She coaches it up. She knows how to spin the story. Um, I'm not that good, but I'm kind of a jack of all trades when it comes to education. So a school leader uh, can reach out to me and say, hey, I have a teacher, a group of teachers or an entire school that needs support. How can you help? So I go in and do uh, an assessment and I come with recommendations and then we start executing on those recommendations. And hopefully through those interventions, we make teaching and learning a lot more effective. That's awesome. I had no idea that business model even existed. What? There's a lot of education consultants. In really? Yeah, there's a lot. That's fascinating. So what, I mean, how do you, are you still running that company, by the way? I'm still doing that, that company to this day. I just have one client, but they have me for the entire year, and I've been working with them for about four years. Um, but every now and then, I do one-off um, jobs or, or um experiences with teachers where there's a one teacher who needs to pass his or her evaluation and the principal's like I really want to keep this teacher and help them become better in a very quick period <laughs> period of time and so I'll go in and do some heavy lifting and get that teacher into a good place where they can pass their evaluation um so yeah I like I said I love the challenge of finding out what the issues are fixing them and see the result of it um, that really gives me a great sense of satisfaction. So that's so yeah. I had no idea that that was even something that happened. Educational consulting—that's crazy. How like I know a lot of consulting companies are pretty profitable, but I mean, what kind of like money do you make from that? Is it is it pretty? It's it, consulting is a very profitable yeah. uh, industry, um, and you know that can fluctuate depending on what kind of consult consultation yeah. you do um, and what scale you do it at. Um, but yeah, uh, consulting pays really well. Um, and that's kind of what pays the bills <laughs> at yeah, the moment. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but like I mentioned before, I love doing multiple things at one time. Uh, and I am always of the belief that life is too short to just do one thing. And I'm constantly digging to see like what else is in the tank. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So education consulting is not the only thing that I do, uh, for that reason. Yeah. Oh, we'll get into it. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> dude, that's, that's so cool. Um, all right. Uh, first book you've written how many books? Just one. Just one. So far. So far. The second one is written. It's just not published. Not ready yet. All right. Yeah, tell yeah, me yeah. about that. I would like to write a book at some point. Yeah. So I'd love some, some advice and okay. kind of rewriting process, how all that all worked, where the ideas it. came from, stuff like that. Yeah. So one of the things that I just love to do for fun is Right. So in my phone, in my notes section, I'm sure a lot of people think that I'm like sending texts or checking social media, but I'm literally writing like things that come to my mind or little uh, like creative phrases to say for later or like I'll start writing a poem. But with my first book, Rosewood Circle, The First Day, um, I literally wrote that entire book in my phone. Wow. And over the course of probably a few months uh, of just every now and then just adding things to the story, uh, I looked back at it because I had gotten to the end point. And I was like, wow, this is actually pretty good. Let me, what would it be like to publish a book? And so jumped on Google, found here's how you publish a book, went through a publishing company um, and used their self-publishing services. And a year or so later, published my first book. That was it. Yeah. And I, so, yeah, and this children's book is supposed to be a series. Once again, only has one book so far. Um, more to come, knock on wood. Um, but, yeah, it's supposed to be a series. And using my background as an educator, I really think about what that experience as a reader is going to look like for the child who is reading the book. And so my books are pretty rigorous to read um, because they're meant to be read together with an adult, a parent, a guardian, a teacher, um, so that as the student learns more um, and as they hear proficient expert readers read, uh, that student will become better at reading it themselves. And so it's, it's an, a, a gradual release of, of lift on the adult as the child gets better at reading. That's awesome. I, I cannot believe I can type way faster than texting. I cannot believe you wrote the entire yeah, it's just like, you know, the saying, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, right? Yeah. So just take your time. I guess so. Yeah, I guess. I mean, there, you know, there's pros and cons to everything, but I guess the one con to being a renaissance man is you can never focus on one thing too much. So you kind of just got to do what you can with the time you have. But that's that's awesome. I uh, 
I would love to write a book at some point, but just get started. Need to get started. That's, that's my advice to everyone. Need to get started. Take the ideas and put them down somewhere. How was the like the whole publishing process? You said you went online and just yeah. Did it. So we live in a day and age where it's really easy to actually put something out into the world, and you can do it pretty inexpensively as well. So depending on what you want to do with what you are writing, um, you can go a multitude of routes. So if you are just dead set on getting a traditional publisher to publish your book, like you know, we see New York Times bestseller kind of things. You're going to have to shop it around, and that's a whole job in itself. Yeah. Um, and, but if you just want to put something out in the world because you believe in it and you think that people would benefit from it, you can go the self-publishing route. You can uh, just release it as an ebook, which is really, really inexpensive. Uh, for me, uh, like I said, I went through a traditional publisher and used their, self, their self-publishing services. So I had, like, a whole team of people working on my book from – illustrator to the editor to people who help with the layout and all about that, the design yeah, and stuff like that. All that I don't I don't do <laughs> I don't yeah. do any of that stuff so it was nice to have experts to help me with my project of course I had to pay more for all of those yeah. for that whole team but in the end I think that it was a really great product that came out and it was received really really well so um and I think a lot of people think that you know, I'm going to write a book and it's going to make a lot of money and uh, I'm going to be famous. And typically that's not what happens with books. Books don't typically make authors money. It gives yeah. you a platform to do other things like speak or uh, turn your book into something else. That right. is like the pinnacle right. of everything that I Turn it into a course or something else yeah, you can monetize. Turn yeah. it into a movie, turn it into a series, turn it into whatever. And because we are constantly as a society looking for great stories to tell. And uh, the movie industry and uh, the TV industry are constantly looking for those great stories. And if you can, even as a self-published author, you can present that to, uh, uh, to a company and they're like, wow, that's a really great uh, story. Let's do something with that. So, um, depending on what you want to do with what uh, your, uh, you know, why you wrote the story or the content that you wrote, you can do a lot of things with it. That's cool. Yeah, storytelling. I've, I'm a nerd for, you know, like algorithms, YouTube stuff like that. Why mm-hmm. why things do well and the overarching thing that is causes success is storytelling. Are you able Always. to are you able to spin a good story? Are you able to, you know, instill some sort of feeling in your audience that you want to? So uh, tell me a little bit about, you don't have to read your book, but tell me a little bit about the story. Yeah, so uh, the story is about this third grader named uh, David Spencer. He and his family just moved to a new town and subsequently a new school. And so um, he is trying to figure out how to make friends again. He had a bunch of friends at his old school, but he doesn't remember how he made his friends. Um, So he goes to school the first day. Spoiler alert, if you're going to read the book. Don't listen to anything I'm about to say. So he goes to school the first day and he doesn't make any friends and he feels really alone and he he's really shy at first. And then he goes home and he gets some really great advice from his father. Then he goes back to school the next day and he changes who he is and thereby changes who how everyone interacts with him. Um, and. Spoiler alert, he makes friends at the end of the story. <laughs> That's good. It wouldn't be a very good storytelling if uh, you ended up sad. Yeah. That's awesome. So, oh, miss, oh one important detail yeah. about this character is that he wears mismatched socks. Exactly. Yeah. And so that's the, and his older brother makes fun of him because he wears mismatched socks as well, um, which will probably lead to the next thing you're going to ask me about. Yes. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. What, uh, why, why the mismatched socks? Was that just kind of a, something you just thought of on the spot while you're typing on your phone? You know what? That was actually the last detail I added to the story. Interesting. And yeah, that, because I was like, there has to be something else about this character that is interesting. What is going to be this thing? And I was, I remember the exact moment where I was. I was visiting a friend in Australia, and I was in the library, and there was this guy who was laid out on a bench beside me, snoring super, super, super loud. Like, really, really, really loud. And Australians are just too nice to tell people to get up and leave. Um, but in that moment... I had a, it was Eureka. And I was like, oh my God, the main character can wear mismatched socks. And that's the theme throughout the entire story. And all of the stories subsequently will have that same kind of theme. Snoring to mismatched socks. There you go. That's crazy. Inspiration from everywhere. Inspiration from everywhere. So mismatched socks took you into 
your newest venture, what you're working on most right now. So tell me about it. Yeah, so Voice Threads is a socially conscious lifestyle brand that partners with nonprofit organizations. And we use the nonprofit's work as the design inspiration for our products, namely our socks. Um, And our socks are mismatched. They are the same color, but they're different designs on each uh, pair or each sock in the pair um, and that's on the host of causing conversations not about the socks but about the organizations that inspired the socks um, we manufacture here in the United States we use eco-friendly yarns and we donate a portion of the proceeds from the sale of each sock back to our nonprofit partners as well so from top to bottom we really try to be as community focused and socially conscious as possible um, but the company was not that in the very beginning and the and i You'll find with a lot of companies that evolution of who you ultimately become uh, over time changes and shifts because um, I went through. So the initial idea was to yeah, create. Take outlet. me back. Yeah. yeah to tell, so tell me how it started. Yeah. So now we're going back to the very beginning. Yeah. So I wrote the book and I was like, wow, it'd be really nice if. I could create a line of kid socks that align with the book. So yeah. literally create socks that the character wears so that students could, or kids could buy the book and then buy the socks right. and feel like they're a part of the Relate story. Relate to it on another level, yeah. Exactly. Um, and so I took that idea and went through a program called SeatSpot. And SeatSpot is a, um, an accelerator uh, for social impact ventures. Um, so um, going through that program really helped me to think about how could I take this very novel idea of mismatched socks and turn it into something that could impact the community in a really, really deep way. Um, and after some intense work with through SeatSpot, um, I was able to come up with a concept uh, of what the company would look like. And then it took about another year until I actually had socks to show for it because Mind you, my background is in education, and I knew literally zero about manufacturing socks, so other than putting how to put them on your feet. Um, so when that moment hit of panic uh, while understanding I want to make this company come to life, but I know nothing, I could, that was the first time in my life where I remember not being able to sleep, and yeah. I did not sleep at all. So I went to YouTube University, looked at I don't even know how many videos about sock manufacturing and where do you manufacture? What kinds of yarns do you use? Um, yeah, it, it was, it was, was a, a deep, yeah. steep learning curve. Um, but through all that learning, I, and I think this is the beauty about the journey of entrepreneurship. Once you, so my bubble for a long time had just been education. Then it expanded a little bit with my authorship and then expanded even more as I launched into like retail social impact work all along the way I had met these individuals who had all the skills that I needed to start my company up so from my attorney to the agency who uh, helped me brand my company to the person uh, and company who uh, built my website to the person who helped me design my socks to the finding the manufacturer all these people helped me, uh, I discovered all these people along the the journey. I didn't know what I was going to need them for, but there came a moment where I was like, oh, I know people who can help me do this thing now. Um, And looking back at at those moments, I'm like, man, we we miss a lot of opportunities when we don't recognize the things and the people who we're surrounded by. Um, And if we really want to do something great, Or if we don't know how to do something and we really want to do it, but we're afraid, everything will come to you if you just start moving forward. Yeah. I heard, I don't remember exactly what the quote was, but I heard a really good quote that was like, if you want to go fast, go by yourself. If you want to go far, bring bring people with you. That's it. Yeah. Kind of back to like your little bubble. You were, what was your major? What did you graduate with? Oh, Education? If you want to get even more like random. (laughs) All right. Let let me hear it. Yeah. So I double majored in international studies with a focus in Latin America and transnational cultures. My second major was a romance languages with a concentration in Spanish. So yeah. How does that figure into what I'm doing? Nothing at all. Absolutely nothing. That's, that's how it goes. Yeah. And so I encourage, you know, anyone who goes to college, yeah, college is great because it expands the way you think about the world and your place in it. You get to connect with 
other really brilliant people. Uh, but at the end of the day, you may or may not use the degree that you got. And that's okay. Um, as long as you're doing something that brings you happiness and passion and joy, it, just be thankful that you did it. Yeah, I know a lot of people that aren't using their degrees that they got, but they are using the connections that they got. And Absolutely. Like being able to network and talk to people when you're at college. And also kind of going to a college gives you some sort of uh, legitimate factor. Like if you're reaching out to a connection, you say, sure. hey, I go to such and such university. Let's meet up and talk. I want to learn from you, stuff like that. Right. That's cool. Tell me a little bit about SeedSpot. You said it was like an accelerator. What kind of, how, how, how did that process take you from idea, then accelerate? to the company. Yeah, so SeatSpot uh, was actually founded here in Phoenix, and um, they focus on uh, people of color and women entrepreneurs, because if you uh, make more women entrepreneurs, our economy is better. Like every economy that has more women entrepreneurs or running businesses, they automatically do better. Their communities do better. Um, same thing with people of color, uh, because these are also marginalized and often disenfranchised communities as well. So C-Spot really uh, wants to see um, an elevation in the opportunities and the impact that these kinds of um, ventures can make. C-Spot is not exclusive only to those communities, but yeah. that's where their focus is. Um, and so they teach you literally the nuts and bolts of business from what are you going to call your business to who are your customers to... Uh, how are you going to make money? What's your uh, business model? What's your revenue model? Um, how, how do you know what customers want? And so you have to go out, find your customers, ask them questions. You have to sit at home and do a bunch of homework about um, what is my company? What are we literally doing? They partner you up with coaches um, who will help you think through those uh, really hard uh, questions to answer um, and to also push your thinking on what you think your business can be. Um, and then they offer you an opportunity to pitch to the community so the whole community can know what you're doing and how they can support you as well. So I went through their, um, they call it their uh, African-American boot camp. So it was a week-long boot camp, eight hours a day. Oof. Um, yeah. It was intense, but it was great because the room was always filled with positive energy and being surrounded with people who look like you trying to do really great things too. Yeah. It was really inspiring. People of your um, same culture, everything you just yeah. connect with on a different Yeah, different absolutely. Level. And all of us had different ideas. Like none of us were in the same industry, which was also amazing. Yeah. Um, and so after that, we, uh, we had to do a, a pitch to the community. We had a pitch night and afterward, everyone's like, wow, this is so great. How can I help you? And things like that. So it was really great. And Seat Spot really is all about how can the community lift up these um, entrepreneurs and their businesses? And then I also went through another program through SeatSpot called their Impact Accelerator. Now, their Impact Accelerator is like going to college. Um, so you get into those same concepts, but now that your company is actually a little further down the road, how do you like dig deeper? How do you go further? How do you tighten some screws? Um, they pair you up with a mentor that you check in with all the time. The mentors get all in your business, <laughs> literally. And, um, and they challenge you to, to push it and to think about things that you don't want to think about. Um, and, and then you pitch to the community again. And uh, during, uh, with the Impact Accelerator, they put money on the line. So if, you can, if your pitch is okay. really, really good, you the can prize. win some money. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. That's really cool. I, I've heard of other places that do that similar thing. That's really cool. People that like don't know kind of how just like the building blocks of business work, especially you didn't go to, I'm going to college for business right now. So it's obvious to me, but most people don't go to college for business. And a lot of entrepreneurs actually don't end up going to college for business. They, Absolutely. they pursue something that is interesting to them, which is kind of the entrepreneurial spirit, yeah, right? You absolutely. go after something that you are passionate about and love, and then you end up getting into business in whatever you major in or whatever you find interest in later on. And you're like, you have no idea how to run a business. Right. That's cool. So what is kind of the exact like vision? What are your kind of goals for your company? Wow. It's, uh, there's a lot of goals <laughs> in vision for voice. There's there. I think everyone can notice if you've been paying attention to like, uh, how businesses are beginning to run now. Um, businesses are making a point to work in the sustainable space um, to make sure that their companies are more inclusive. 
um, to if you're a retailer who deals in apparel, making sure that your apparel is done ethically and made out of um, good materials. Um, and so those shifts in uh, those shifts are coming because that's what consumers want, not because yeah. that's what businesses want, because businesses want to do it the cheap way that they've been doing it for years. But it's destroying our planet and yeah. destroying communities exactly. because they're not paying people a livable wage. Um, and so my, my company, when I set out to do it, um, I want us to be an example of how you can do this kind of business the right way. And so it's tougher to do it that way, too, because Absolutely. where you source your materials, they're not always the cheapest because they pay their employees a livable wage. We, what kinds of materials you make, they're not always the cheapest because they're made in a way that's sustainable for the environment. Um, and then if you're giving money back to the community, that's even more, you know, more margin. into your bank, yeah. right? So, um, so it's tougher, but the world is a better place as a result. And businesses are making that shift because of people like you who buy things and they understand, like, the world needs to get better. We all can do better. Sure, things might cost a little bit more, but I feel better about myself and I can start to see the community change as a result. And so our socks are not the cheapest <laughs> in the world, but people understand they're like, wow, there's a lot of value in what you're doing and I'm willing to pay that because of the value. And if you think about it, and you think about uh, brands that we see as luxury or high quality, people don't bat an eye at, you know, buying a more expensive thing because Absolutely. there's this inherent quality that you have in, or the, the inherent value that you have in your mind of whether showing it off to other people or that it's made a particular way. Um, and we need to do that for, for things as, you know, small as socks um, because we also make shirts now, and our shirts are ethically made in Haiti. They're made out of recycled plastic bottles. And so that same kind of thread that ties everything together is going to take us down the road. And everything that every decision I make about the company has those things in mind. And we can't deviate at this point because now people are looking to us <laughs> to have these kinds of things set up. And if we ever do, I'm sure people will call us out. And I give you permission to do so because something happened to me along the way that made me change my mind. Um, and hopefully that never happens. But, um, but yeah, down the road, I want to have our own factory. Um, I think that would be really great for the economy, especially if it's a, a factory that focuses on uh, sustainable apparel. Um, I want to have our own store with tons and tons of different kinds of products that we offer to the community. We want to have ways that we can partner with literally any nonprofit that wants to partner with us. Um, and then just inspire other people to do the same thing. And uh, long term, that's what our vision is. That's cool. It's uh, kind of back to the story. You're not selling socks so much. You're kind of selling your story yeah. and your brand behind everything. I when you were talking about everything, sustainability companies kind of switching to that model. You've heard about Patagonia, what they've done uh -huh. recently. I thought that was so cool. Uh, I've always been a fan of Patagonia. Yeah, but Patagonia is a really good After company. After I saw that, I was, uh, you know, it makes you think that it's a company that, you know, they're really doing something that they care about the planet, they care about what we're doing, and they're, you know, kind of a For sure. lifestyle outdoor company. Mm -hmm. So it reflects well on their community that they're trying to serve and, looks well on the planet. So, yeah. uh, you know, what, what are some of the challenges behind starting a clothing company? Oh, man. Yeah, so once again, the challenge was I knew nothing about it. Yeah, knowledge. Um, yeah. <laughs> so knowledge is definitely um, a prerequisite to starting anything. Yeah. And, you know, the idea of just starting something can look a number of different ways, but just writing something down is the starting point for something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so education is one money is always, and I'm pretty sure in every, any business owner you ask money is always the issue, especially in the beginning phases because I self funded um, my company and that can take you pretty far because I was a poor teacher for such a long time and I had saved a lot of money and I used it to start three companies in three years. But, um, yeah, money, even now, we just turned four last month, and I'm like, man, if we could have more money, we could do more things all the time, um, and then grow my, and then team, who is on, who is in your team, are you finding the right people, um, do, are they in the right place, are they happy in the things that they do, um, 
And the, so I would say the, those things are the biggest challenges, the education, the finances, and the team. If you can get that down, you can do a lot of things, um, especially in my particular industry, um, because there are people who make things that you want to put out into the world everywhere. You can, you can source that stuff. Um, but to have people on in your business who make that stuff come to life is the challenge. Yeah. You, so education, you said you did a lot of YouTubing. Uh, uh, is that kind of the extent of where you figured everything out or no, what I mean, so like I mentioned before in seat spot, like that, that's where you got most of your, most of your knowledge in that my elementary high school and college. Yeah. <laughs> that was yeah. the thing. But then continuously learning through workshops, through other colleagues that you meet along the way. And then also knowing like, stuff you don't need to learn. Like, I don't need to learn coding, right? Like, it would be nice to know, and I could learn it in a few years, but it, it doesn't suit me now to do that when I can find someone who can do that yeah, for me. Yeah, outsourcing, yeah. Yeah, very so important. you have to understand, like, you only have a certain capacity, and you can't do everything. Um, and so, uh, yeah, education is really important, and that's, I think, the key to a lot of growth in business in general. You have to continue to grow. You have to read. You have to listen to podcasts. You have to listen to people who know what they're talking about, who have their own businesses. Make friends with them. Make friends with people who have done what you've done. Make friends with people who are doing what you're doing, and make people who want to do what you're doing. And so you have three layers of accountability and access at any particular point in time, because you never know where your next big idea is going to come from. And being open to hear from people uh, is kind of the secret sauce to like moving your company uh, to the next level. And you can affect their company in in a really positive way too. Um, Because entrepreneurship can be really lonely, (laughs) but you're not in it by yourself once you find your community. Yeah. Being prepared to uh, kind of, you know, entrepreneurs have ideas over all the time. Millions of, you know, there's a million ways to skin a cat. Absolutely. Uh, so there's a million things you can do to become an entrepreneur and make money, but it's kind of seeing those opportunities and being able to act on them by being educated, you know, continually reading and learning from people, networking, stuff like that. So uh, when you're starting or still now, what are some things you think that you've bragged a little bit? What's some things you've done well in your company that you think oh, have gosh. led to your success? Oh, man. And, and the thing is, it's like I have this thing about success, right? Like what what is the definition of success? Like because there's there are people who look in from the outside and like, wow, this is a successful company. They've been around for a while. I've heard about them. Their products look great. Their website looks great. Their social media is popping. That's success. But <laughs> when you're on the inside... It can look. It's all crashing down and falling apart. You're you're standing in a burning house, and you're the room you're currently in is on fire as well. You're like, hmm, where should I start putting out this fire? Because everything is on fire. Um, But um, but I'm really grateful for just making it to where we are. As humble as we are, still are. We've made a lot of impact for what we've been doing. and with a super, super small team, shout out to all my interns who I've had over the years, um, and my lead designer. Ooh, I think that um, some of our biggest accomplishments come in the form of actually hearing people talk about the mission that we set out to do in terms of causing conversations, and people are actually having the conversations. So um, people will say, hey, Drew, I was wearing your socks at a meeting, and uh, someone saw my socks, and they, and they asked me questions, and we spent the first 15 minutes of the meeting just talking about, like, the not just the socks, but the organization and all the great work and all this. I was like, wow, that's fantastic. Or I hear from a business owner who is very generous in the community, who gives a lot of money out to different nonprofit organizations, and one of our nonprofit partners emailed him and uh, he hadn't ever heard about this nonprofit before. And while he was making his decision about whether to give this nonprofit money, he looked down at his feet. He was like, oh, dang, I'm wearing this nonprofit socks on my feet. Of course, I'm going to give him some money. Like, those are the kinds of things that really let me know that we're on the right track. Or when a person meets us and uh, comes to our booth at a market event and they fall in love with one of the nonprofit organizations and they literally go work for the nonprofit organization. Those are the things that I see as success because it lets me know that, yes, on my worst day, I know that these things are happening. And these are just a few stories. And I'm sure there are much, many, many, many more stories like these that occur on a day-to-day basis that I never will get to hear about. But we've, 
Oh man, we've uh, we just got um, voted best in the valley by Phoenix Magazine this year. That's awesome. Um, we've oh man, we've done a lot of things. Uh, we've been on the runway in a lot of different places. We were in Kansas City Fashion Week. We've been at Phoenix Fashion Week. Um, been in a lot of magazines. So yeah, I I mean all the things that you would think of in terms of success. I think we are there, at least on a local level, but it makes sense because we are a hyper-local kind of company. Yeah. We want people to fall in love with where they live and to also engage in their community. Um, so that makes sense, and I'm glad that we're making our footprint here, uh, and I look forward to going to other places and doing the, kind of, doing the same kind of work. Yeah, that's awesome. That's Congratulations, by the way, for oh, all thanks. that. Uh, success. Um, so people, how do you kind of – how many people are on your team right now? How did you find them? Yeah, so technically on my team is me and my lead designer, and we have interns that come and go. Okay. And I think that it's it's kind of served us well, especially over the life of our company and where the world went for a second with the pandemic. Yeah. Because it would have destroyed me if I had to lay people off during the pandemic. That would have, I don't think I would have opened my business again if I had to do that. So. Shout out to all the business owners who have to make those hard decisions because we were nimble enough to just float for a minute. And during the pandemic, we were able to um, even do a Kickstarter and raise money during the pandemic. And we it was a successful Kickstarter. Um, so the community wants us around. So that's really great to know. But yeah, our team is really, really super small. Um, we're... <laughs> that's when I talk about finances, this is like one of the things that I would love to be able to do is to hire a whole team, uh, get more things developed and put out into the world. Um, but all those things will come. I'm not super concerned about it. Yeah. Finances. Yeah. yeah finances but, are... oh, but the team. So my lead designer, yeah. we actually go, we um, have become very, very close friends over the course of time. We go to the same church. And um, when I started my company, I was like, I don't know how to design <laughs> anything <laughs> where I'm going to find a designer. Yeah. And he and I were in the same men's group. And um, I just had this feeling. I was like, you're my guy for for this project. And I didn't know that he had a background in fashion. I didn't know he had a background in graphic design. And also, that, like, I knew, like, surface level stuff about him. And he turned out to be the perfect guy. So all the designs that you see on our socks and on our shirts, that's him. I mean, I influenced them too. I mean, not to, you know, take any credit from him, but how the process goes is I'll go and meet with the nonprofit organizations. I'll hear their story. I'll ask a lot of questions. I take all my notes and sit down with uh, my lead designer, Noah, and I'll just tell him the story and I'll, and after I'm telling while I'm telling the story, I'm telling him what I'm thinking in my mind, what images I see. And he's on his computer, just typing away, searching out like colorways and patterns and things like that. And by the time my conversation ends, he'll have like a rough draft of what, where it's going to go. Um, and that's the, that's the fun part about what we do other than meeting people. Um, but that's a really, really fun part because you get to see like something that goes from the head into something that's alive. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Where do you kind of get that, uh, creativity for like nonprofit to sock design? How does that kind of process work? Yeah. It's all about storytelling. Right. Um, and I think that's the common theme about everything that I've done both with my children's book and this, and I didn't realize it until recently how close the connection is about like storytelling with a book versus storytelling with design. Um, it's literally, how do I tell the story? Because my Noah, he will say when we had interns, he'll be like, okay, we're designing the sock. As we're designing, I want you to think about what is the story and what would Drew say? <laughs> 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 and so that, because that's the thing, like a lot, there are a lot of companies that um, will design because it looks cool, but our job is to interpret the nonprofit's work into an actual design. And yeah. so I everything that you see in terms of written words for the brand, I wrote them. But everything you see in terms of the visual design, Noah did it for our products. And so we work really, really well in terms of like tying those roles together um, from the literal written out story to the design story to make it 
uh, to make sure that it's cohesive and that it makes sense. And that when people wear the socks, they're reminded of the work of what that nonprofit does. And I test it out every now and then. So last night I was at a market event and I held up two socks because um, a customer wanted to know what that nonprofit did. And so I held up, we have some uh, sock displays. So I held up two socks and I'm like, this sock has an outline of a family on it. This sock has uh, a, a motif of houses going around it. So um, what do you think this nonprofit does? And they were like, they help families get into homes. I was like, boom, there you go. So if you ever forget and someone asks you about your socks, you can tell them about what that nonprofit does. That's awesome. So kind of how, how does the process work? Do nonprofits approach you? Or are you reaching out to nonprofits? How does that, how does that go? Yeah, typically they reach out to us um, just in virtue of a space that we live in. We live in this really interesting space of like fashion and nonprofit and for-profit business, social entrepreneurship kind of thing. And so um, when we're in a space, all pretty, nonprofits, they all know each other and they, we all hang out in the same spaces. Even though my company is a for-profit company, um, we live in that space. Uh, and so when they see or hear about, oh, this nonprofit has, you know, socks uh, that are socks inspired by the work that they do. Of course, the, the other nonprofit is going to be like, why don't we have socks? How can we do that? So we get a lot of uh, inquiries about how we can partner with uh, other nonprofit organizations. And even when customers come up and learn about non, uh, voice threads in person, they're like, hey, are you guys looking for nonprofits? I'm like, yeah, we're always looking. So everyone has like a favorite nonprofit that they that they love and they always suggest to us. Um, so they typically come to us or, or or are referred to us um, by someone else. Um, so we haven't had to do a lot of um, searching out in terms of um, finding nonprofits to partner with, which is a blessing. Um, so that at least eliminates a lot of the lifting on our end. Um, and that also lets us know that we're doing something that people find valuable. So, um, so yeah. Yeah. What did the, how did the voice threads, what did the name come from? What does that kind of mean? Yeah, so... One of the things that I knew very early on, <laughs> and this is the importance of education, right? Because prior to, voice threads was not what voice threads was called in the very beginning. I ca It was called uncommon thread. And if you are savvy enough to know about like SEO and trademarks and all this other stuff, you know good and well that that will never fly and your company should never be named uncommon thread because it's everywhere. Yeah. Um, and so that was one of the things that night when I couldn't sleep, that was also one of the things where I'm like, it's always the name. What am I doing? It's always the name. So once again, I had a friend who actually was one of the co-leads for my, um, program at seat spot who became, he's like a brother to me now, uh, who started his own, um, brand identity agency. He, I called him that, that morning when I couldn't sleep and I had been doing all that research on manufacturing. I called him. I was like, hey, I need help. He's like, sure, brother, what do you need help with? I'm like, I think everything. <laughs> everything, yeah. And uh, he and his team took me through, still to this day, the best brand identity workshop, series of workshops that I've ever taken in my life, I've ever seen in my life. And the product that came from those conversations and those activities that they had me do were amazing. And I even like help other people through that process now because... Uh, it resonated so strongly with me, the process that I went through. Um, but while I was working with, and the agency's called A Small Studio, look them up, they're amazing, use them if you have a business. Um, so one of the things that we did in the very beginning was we thought about, well, and, and the, this is the great thing about what they did is they didn't suggest things to me. They were just asking me questions and pulled out what I was thinking and put it down on paper. So we created basically like a word map of what, Keywords, phrases, colors, animals, people, phrases align with this brand and just shot off. And some of these other words became branches. And we it was just this huge mass of words and ideas uh, from there. But it all, at the end of the day, distilled down to voice because you're using your voice to start because our mission is to cause conversations. And so voice, spelled differently with a Y, um, is actually an old English spelling of the word voice. So it's, an, it's a real word. Nobody ever spells it that way anymore. And then also there's a why there too, because there's a, there's a why to the work that we do. That's awesome. 
That's awesome. So what, how many nonprofits are you guys working with right now? And what are some notable ones that you enjoy working with the most? Well, they're all notable. <laughs> okay. What are some that you but, personally resonate right, with? Right, right. Um, so some of the nonprofits that we, so we have a pipe, let me back all the way up. So currently we have products out. So socks for about 14 different nonprofits. They're all local to Arizona. We have a pipeline outside of those of about two dozen nonprofits that we have not released designs for yet. Um, and we have very notable nonprofits like uh, Teach for America Phoenix. Um, I was a core member with Teach for America. It's the whole reason why I came to Phoenix, Arizona. Um, and so, of course, they had to be one of our first partners. Um, we have the Humane Society. Everyone loves pets mm-hmm. and animals. Yeah. And, um, and the person who I who was who helped me get that partnership worked at Humane Society uh, as well. And it's amazing too. Our first five partners that we launched with, I didn't have socks to show them. I had nothing. I was like, I have this idea. Um, I think it's going to be great. <laughs> I'm going to, you can ask me as many questions as you want, but I have nothing to show you. And they just believed in the idea and they believed in me to bring it to fruition. And um, yeah, Humane, Humane Society was one of the first ones. Teach for America was one of the first ones. Um, who else do we work with? We work with Big Brothers Big Sisters. I just became a big um, a year, literally a year ago. It's one of the best things I ever did in my life, and I was so proud to be able to um, partner with them. Um, let's see who else is really notable. And then even smaller uh, nonprofits like Phoenix Community Tool Bank. Phoenix Community Tool Bank does tremendous work, but a lot of people don't know that they, that they exist because they're like, they're a smaller nonprofit organization, but they are literally the epitome of conservation and sustainability. They have this humongous warehouse of tools and from hammers to power tools to decorations to tents that you can put up if you're going to be outside, like literally anything you can think of, they have it. And what a nonprofit can do is they can go to um, or sign up on um, Phoenix Community Toolbank's website if they're going to do a, a project where there's building a garden or helping to build houses. They can put in that order. Phoenix Community Toolbank will find out the tools. They will give them suggestions on what else they might need. They'll ask about how many people are going to be there and add more to the cart. Um, they'll help you load the tools on to the trucks when you need them. You and then the organization or the business can go and do their project. And instead of you know going out and buying those and storing them somewhere where they'll probably never ever use them again, the organization or the business just brings them back to Fitness Community Tool Bank to be reused again. I was like, what better way to um, save costs to uh, make sure that communities need what they need and to. Um, just be a really great resource in the community than to have all these really great tools that um, businesses and organizations need. Like, that's really tremendous work. And uh, uh, the tool bank actually has locations all, all over the country, and whenever there's a natural disaster, they send out these trucks full of tools to go to those disaster areas to help rebuild those communities. I'm like, everybody needs to know about these smaller nonprofit organizations, and that's why we really try to partner with some well-known uh, nonprofit organizations as well as those who are doing really great impactful work, but more people need to know about them. So that's part of the work that we do in terms of brand awareness, not just for us as voice threats, but also for these nonprofit organizations. That's so cool. I feel like once, you know, the nonprofit space is very cool. I worked for a nonprofit for mm-hmm. a little bit. Uh, once, once you kind of get over that hurdle of me versus everyone. Right really cool things happen stuff Absolutely. people people connect and people figure things out when you're thinking bigger thinking for sure more of community world everything besides just how you can personally benefit from something so clearly you're passionate about what you're doing which is really important how how you know did you kind of find that passion and how do you think you would suggest other people to find a passion of their own yeah i think you find passion by doing right i think that you know, if you ask people, what are you passionate about? Most people would have a really hard time figuring out what they're passionate about because they do the same thing every single day. And I ask people all the time, when's the, f- when's the last time you did something for the first time? 
a lot of people don't do new things uh, when you get to my age, not to say that younger people do, but when you get to my age, a lot of people just fall into this routine of, they, of doing the same thing over and over and over again. But when you find opportunities to do new things, that's what keeps life vibrant and fun and joyful and passionate. And those are, are the ways in which you find your passion. When we were all younger, I don't care who you are, when you were younger, you were passionate about something. It might have been insects, it might have been the stars, you might have wanted to be president of the United States or an astronaut, but at some point, you stopped dreaming that big. And one of the things that I've discovered as I've gotten older, as I've gone on this journey for entrepreneurship, is I'm turning back into my fifth grade self and believing that I can literally do anything that I set my mind to do if I have enough time and resources. And... Um, you discover your passion by doing. So doing something that you may not have ever done before, seeing if you like it, and if you don't, be like, well, that wasn't it. Let me try something else. That is how you find your passion. Um, and a lot of people, and, and your passion won't just come to you sitting at home thinking about it. You have to go and do something because passion is an action. It, it leads, your, leads your body into doing something, and you have to do something to find it. Yeah, I 100% agree. You got to try as much as you can, do everything, you're obviously not going to like a lot of the things that oh, you're yeah. doing, but by doing that, you find something that you really enjoy. Uh, kind of wrapping up, what is kind of some advice that you would give your serial entrepreneur? What would you what would you suggest to somebody who wants to be an entrepreneur or is kind of just starting in that space? Yeah, um, kind of like what I mentioned before. If you're starting out being an entrepreneur, or you want to be an entrepreneur, just start. <laughs> starting is the hardest part of the process, but that one small, seemingly small step is a really great step um, in the right direction. And take your ideas and bring them into reality. Write them down because I believe it's the law of attraction, right? Like once things start in motion in real life, then things start coming to you. But if they stay in your head, they're just dreams and ideas. If you're really, if you're really for real about doing what you want to do, then you're going to have to put some work in it. It's not just going to come to you. You're going to have to make a plan. You have to write your ideas down. You have to tell people about what your ideas are because then they can help support you and keep you accountable to what you said you're going to do as well. Um, but yeah, the first step is just writing them down. Write down your ideas. Get your phone out. Get the notes app out. Yeah, it's like we all carry around these fantastic computers in our pockets. Write stuff down and you never know how the world, God, the universe, however your faith is, is going to bring those resources your way to make sure um, that that comes to pass because all of us were put here on the planet to solve a problem. And there's a problem that only you can solve. Um, and our life's mission is to find out how can we be the solution that the world needs. That's awesome. That's all I have. Uh, make sure to go check out Voice Threads. I'll put it in the description or something. Uh, go buy some socks, support a nonprofit that you like. And uh, thanks, Drew, for talking for a little while. Absolutely. My pleasure.